And now another edition of our Penn podcast series. It's the Penn Medicine Heart and Vascular Update. Here's Melanie Cole. Hearing the word failure associated with your heart can be scary. However, heart failure does not mean that your heart has stopped working. Instead, this chronic and progressive condition occurs when the heart isn't pumping as efficiently as it should. And as a result, your body isn't receiving the oxygen it needs. My guest today is Dr. Paul Mather. He's a heart failure cardiac transplant cardiologist with Penn Medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mather. So explain a little bit about what heart failure is and how it differs, because people do get this confused, how it differs from a heart attack. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Yes, this is a common misconception with people. Um, Heart failure is simply put when your body cannot provide enough energy, nutrients, and oxygen to run the so-called factory of your body. It, it can affect all your organs, including your brain, your lungs, your kidney, and liver. Now, heart failure is when you have symptoms of shortness of breath, fatigue, lack of energy, and that is different than calling something a trigger for heart failure. Heart attacks can cause heart failure, but heart failure is not a heart attack. Good description. So, what exactly is it? So your your body is not, your heart is not pumping hard enough. It's not able to get oxygen out into those working muscles in your periphery. How does it happen? What causes it? Who's at risk? So it, uh, so it depends on where you are and what the um, triggers, or we, in medicine we use the word ideology, the cause of it. In Western society, about three-fourths of people will get heart failure because of coronary artery disease with or without heart attacks that they actually recognize as a heart attack and or hypertension. So those are the most common causes. Then there are genetic causes like familial genes or uh, protein deposition diseases such as amyloid or other inflammatory diseases such as sarcoid. And then there's substance abuse that can cause heart failure, like alcohol abuse or even cocaine and other opioid drug use that can cause something called cardiomyopathy, which is a fancy way of saying heart muscle cell disease. So you mentioned a few symptoms, shortness of breath, fatigue, but some of these are kind of normal symptoms we might feel anyway. It's a busy world we live in, so what would send someone to see a doctor to get checked for this if this is something that's going on? Well, the first thing I would say about that point is everybody should have preventive health with their physicians. And if you're healthy, maybe you should be in contact with a physician every couple of years to make sure everything's going well, especially as we all age. Having said that, for symptoms of heart failure, anything that is different from what you consider your usual baseline. But the problem with heart failure, it can be insidious. And when I interview a patient for the first time, um, before even I examine them, I tend to turn to the significant other to ask whether they have noticed any changes in the activity level or the energy of their significant other. Because sometimes we down-regulate ourselves. If we're getting short of breath walking two flights of stairs, we tend to take the elevator. So we don't cognitively recognize that we are maybe starting to slip a little bit. So sometimes I have to put it into the context of the life and another person in their lives. That's an interesting point. So what do you do to diagnosis? How do we know? Well, one of the simplest ways is first physician engagement, healthcare provider engagement, where they will examine you and talk to you. 
a physical exam is extremely important. But then if they're suspecting some kind of pump dysfunction of your heart, an ultrasound of your heart, also known as an echocardiogram, can be very useful and needed in the diagnosis and treatment of the disease process. There are other ways to get what we call the ejection fraction, the left ventricular ejection fraction, which is the number that is calculated to, uh, to delineate what the pumping power of your heart is. If you determine that someone is in congestive heart failure, that they have this going on, what's your first line of defense, Dr. Mather? What do you do for them? Well, my first line of defense will be to go on the offensive to see what triggered it and whether we can reverse anything. If somebody's having a blockage in one of their arteries that is not quite causing a heart attack, but is causing something called ischemia, we would try to reverse it. If somebody's having an arrhythmia, like atrial fibrillation or something else, some kind of tachycardia, if somebody's having a, a poorly controlled hypertension, if somebody is drinking too much alcohol, so those are some of the things that we would go on the offensive to not only figure out what the trigger is, but try and reverse the trigger. While we're doing that, we would start therapies to try and help the heart relax, handle the volume by removing some of the volume with water, water pills, and also trying to what we call reverse remodel the heart. The joke I make is remodeling is good for the kitchen, but not for your heart. So what we do is try and reverse remodel the damage from hypertension or heart attacks with special medicines that help the heart muscle cells relax and reorient their contraction patterns. And that is the start of recovery. Included in that will be lifestyle adjustments from fluid control, salt control, and exercise. And I want to emphasize those because those are as important as the medicines. And without all of that, success can be difficult to reach. Dr. Mather, when it comes to medical management, are there certain side effects you concern yourself with as you're combining medications to manage these symptoms such as vitamin K, potassium, sodium? How do you work all that out? Absolutely. That's a very important point. Anytime we try to interfere with the body's natural mechanisms, there are untoward or unintended consequences. And so when you give somebody a water pill, the kidney becomes unhappy with that, even though it's trying to remove the fluid itself. So we have to watch the potassium and the creatinine, which are, which are markers for the kidney function. We have to watch the sodium, both from a salt intake and how it, it set, resets in the bloodstream, because that'll be very important in how heart muscle cells con contract, because those types of what we call electrolytes are important in stabilizing cell function. When you give people blood pressure medicines, especially in older people, it may decrease their um, mentation, their acuity. So you have to watch what the brain blood pressure is, the pressure head going to the brain. You have to um, worry about how it mixes with other, other drugs and process through liver, which the liver tends to process most medications. So there's a lot of interactions you have to uh, be concerned about. That's why when somebody's diagnosed with heart failure, the difference between them now and before they were diagnosed with heart failure is they should be very intimately linked with their physician providers. That's great advice. And when does it 
look to surgical interventions? When would you look to doing any kinds of things or even a transplant if that's what's required? So I will go back to what I said when you asked me about how we start the therapies. I said we go on the offensive to try and reverse things. So if somebody has blockages that are causing ischemia, in other words, starvation of oxygen to heart muscle cells, we want to reverse that. Sometimes it could be with stents. Sometimes it's with bypass surgery. Now, that is predicated on figuring out whether the heart muscle cells are still alive and just acting stunned, or have they died, the heart muscle cells themselves. If they are no longer functional, it's pointless to try and open up the blockages because you're, it's a road to nowhere, so to speak. You're creating a detour to nowhere. But if the cells are underperfused and starving for oxygen, if you can deliver more oxygen, they will start working more efficiently. So those are the types, some of the things that might require surgical type interventions. Then there are a large, medium group of people whose heart muscle cells have been permanently damaged, and then you try and control them with both oral medications and maybe even intravenous medications as their disease advances. And then it comes to a point where it's called end-stage heart failure, where you would need to consider heart transplantation if they're a suitable candidate for transplant, or even something called left ventricular assist devices, LVADs, which are mechanical pumps. So those are some of the options as the disease progresses. And remember, heart failure untreated is a progressive fatal disease. When we treat people with heart failure, we are not only trying to delay the progression, but also try and doing to do some reverse remodeling and creating regression so that they can improve. What great information. So Dr. Mather, wrap it up for us with your best advice for people that are confused about what it means to have heart failure, what you really want them to know. What I really want them to know is that if they have any remote idea that they or a loved one is potentially having heart failure, they need to get engage their healthcare provider immediately. The earlier, the better. And know in the back of your mind is 30 years ago, heart failure tended to be a fatal illness. And now we have so many different therapies that we could now, if we, especially the earlier we get patients, we can aggressively treat them so they can live the quality of life they want to live and not have that life and the energy of life and the hope of life stolen from them. And tell us about your team at Penn Medicine. So we have a wonderful team. It's one of the largest heart transplant programs in the world. But mainly what we do is advanced heart failure. And for those who don't, can't be supported with pills and intravenous drugs, we look towards advanced therapies like LVADs and heart transplantation, as I mentioned before. Uh, it's a multidisciplinary team that includes nurse coordinators, nurse coordinators, nurse practitioners, physicians' assistants, a large group of physicians, including 13 specialists, including myself, in advanced heart failure, transplantation, and LVADs. We have a wonderfully uh, linked group of uh, fantastic surgeons who can do all these advanced surgical therapies. And uh, we have nutritionists, social workers, exercise physiologists. So when you come to the Penn Advanced Heart Failure and Cardiac Transplant Program, you get a full court press. Heart failure is not just a heart disease. It's a total body disease. It's a brain disease. It's a social disease. It's a fear disease. 
It's a uh, anxiety disease. We, you can't, a human being is not an organ that's not working well. It's a whole, the human being is a whole complex being. And the Penn Advanced Heart Failure and Cardiac Transplant Program addresses the person as a whole member and includes their families and their significant others so we can create a support structure for them in order, the goal of being which is to live the life they want to live. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Mather. This is Penn Medicine Heart and Vascular Update. For more information, please visit PennMedicine.org. That's PennMedicine.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.